Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the birthday edition of the Clark Howard Show. It is my birthday today. Happy birthday to you. I'm not going to sing because everybody you would stop to, listening yeah. immediately. You want it to be a pleasant birthday. Yeah, for sure. Neither you nor I should ever sing oh, happy birthday. That's the one thing I wish that I had been blessed with is a singing voice. I would be on stage right now. Really? That's not something that I ever wish for. Well, happy, happy, happy birthday. Thank you. You know, we're here to serve you and... It was funny because Krista had asked, don't you want your birthday off? I was like, no, I love doing this. (laughs) I want to be here. This is all about being here to serve you and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. And I can't have a better gift than where something you hear from us helps you in your life, gives you more power in your life over your wallet, which ultimately is a proxy for having more control. And in this episode, we're going to talk about something that's made people feel completely out of control, and that's student loan debt. Rates have been announced for this year's students going back in August or September. And we got to talk about if you've not been paying because of the holiday, you know, that holiday is coming to an end on payments. And we got to talk about staying current with your payments, what that requires. And later, there's a big announcement in the electric car wars, and I want to tell you how it opens up wider choices for you and what vehicles you look at. So, you know, the federal student loan payment pause is coming to an end, and it means that people who've not paid, been required to make a payment in years, are going to be required to pay again. It means that you're out of the habit and maybe not budgeting for that payment like you had been prior to COVID. And the reality is, don't ignore it. First of all, if your budget's really tight, if you are dealing with federal loans and 90 plus percent of student loans are federal, you have access to income-based repayment plans that under the formulas, the payment you might have to make to be considered to be current could be teensy tiny. So the one thing you don't want to do is ignore the requirement of payments going forward because you go delinquent, it's not like those go away. They don't go away and you need to deal with them. Now, for loans for this year's students in college, whatever year, uh, people that are going in as freshmen, whatever year, the undergraduate rate for this year for student borrowings is 5.5%, significantly higher than it's been in recent years for graduate students, professional students, 7.05%. So that's a big number. 
and what are known as direct plus loans, which are for parents and they're for borrowings that are larger for graduate or professional students, 8.05%. These interest rates for the year you take them out, they stay the same for the entire life of the loans you take out for this coming school year. Those are big numbers, and especially for Parent PLUS loans. Paying 8.05% is really hideous, and uh, it means a lot of parents feel great pressure about sending a son or daughter to the school of their dreams, but going to a school of your dreams doesn't necessarily earn you more money over your working lifetime. There's not necessarily a correlation between the school you go to and earning power. So if one school would be much more affordable and limit the amount of borrowing that would have to take place versus another that would have tremendous financial impact for decades to come, gosh, your heart can be set somewhere else. And you may find that the place you go instead ends up being a really great, comfortable environment for you because those interest rates are a real burden. You know, we went through years with extremely low, about a decade, extremely low interest rates on student loans. And even with those, all the money you borrowed has to be paid back. Just the interest to service them was a lot lower. Now you have the double trouble if you go to an expensive school and have to borrow a lot of money. You have all that principal you got to pay back plus servicing costs, you know, carry costs with the interest so very high. And you ask people who carry big debt, big student loan debt, if they would make the same decision all over again. Overwhelmingly, the answer is no, that, that they would have chosen a less expensive school for college so that they wouldn't end up with the loan burden that they carry for years and years and decades to come. And that's something that I hope, it's not a choice of going to college or not going to college. You know, roughly a third of people graduate from high school don't go to college. The financial cost is not a reason to not go to college because it doesn't have to be expensive. I've talked in the past about all the alternatives to make college inexpensive. It really is about the decision you make up front that determines what kind of burden you face through your life. Krista? Okay, well, Jesse in Texas has a student loan question. Uh, I owe a large amount in student loans and will qualify for PSLF in a few years. We should say what that is, public service loan forgiveness, which requires if you're teacher, police officer, firefighter, and certain other jobs, you're eligible for forgiveness of your federal student loans after 10 years of on-time payments. My payments, when they resume, are about $200 per month because my husband and I chose to file our taxes as married filing separately. This cuts my student loan payment down by several hundred dollars, which seemed like a great idea. However, I recently learned that we cannot contribute to a Roth IRA if we continue to file separately. Is it better to file joint taxes and have the ability to contribute to a Roth or keep the low student loan payments and contribute to our 401ks until my PSLF is complete? I'm also not sure we will even have the money to contribute to the Roth 
as my student loan payments increase by several hundred dollars. Uh, keep doing what you're doing if uh, you qualify for a lower ongoing income-based repayment on student loans, married filing separately. The fact that you can't contribute to a Roth right now is okay because you do have access to the 401k. When you have your student loan forgiveness in a couple of years, a couple of years, right? Mm -hmm. At that point, then you can just contribute money as much as you can to the Roth IRA and try to play catch up on that. But the student loan forgiveness that you're going to be eligible for, because you serve people with either a nonprofit or any of the professions that qualify, it's fantastic that you're going to have that. And that's going to create much more breathing room for you saving for retirement. Sean in California says, you've been a great influence on me over the years, and I have used your advice routinely to monitor my credit. I find Credit Karma to be useful as it helps break down every aspect of my Equifax TransUnion score, which fluctuates right above and below 800. Wow. I always pay credit balances in full, so my credit usage percent is always low. My question is regarding my American Express Gold Card, which does not have a set limit, but when I log into Amex and check the spending power calculator, it gives me an available balance of $80,000. Why is this amount not reflecting my available credit and Credit Karma? Are there any tricks you know of that would apply this Amex available credit to my overall credit available to usage percent? It would definitely boost my score. Well, first of all, your score is already great. <laughs> um, what you have to do is you'd have to charge in a month $80,000 on the Amex gold. If you did that, then they would have that as part of your available credit moving forward. The thing with Amex cards since they don't have a stated public credit limit, the credit bureaus don't know how to treat them. And so what they do is they take the highest balance you've ever had with it and they treat that as your credit limit. So if you have never done uh, mega charging on the Amex, then what's reported to the bureaus is your credit limit is much, much lower than what actually is available to you. And, you know, Sean is like you, with the credit score, we need to come up with a name for people who are so obsessed with getting their credit score to the highest level, and you're one of them. Well, actually, it's been funny because I've I watch my score like a hawk. Mm -hmm. Even and though you're not trying to borrow any money. No, no, but it affects what you pay for auto insurance, True. homeowners insurance, True. other things. This is the crazy thing. My score varies by more than 100 points high to low within any calendar year because it's all based on charging patterns. There are certain times of the year I have more charge activity and my score will go way down because the amount of your available credit accounts for roughly a third of what your credit score is. And so that means my score can go up and down like a yo-yo and it does. Brian in Pennsylvania has a follow-up for us. I thought you might enjoy a follow-up to the engagement ring question I wrote a few weeks back. First, my girlfriend happened to be in the car when Krista just so happened to read my question on air. No. Uh -huh. I ended up ordering a ring from Rare Carrot and couldn't be happier. The wholesaler aspect I mentioned of these sites is correct. Unfortunately, my diamond was available and I was notified overnight the order would go through. The ring arrived earlier than estimated, and the diamond is incredibly stunning. I saved almost $23,000 over an identical quality mined one. 
I did find that if you Google the diamond number that you will find various other sites offering the diamond as well. Wow. I also found that the setting I liked so much wasn't rare care exclusive that they sourced it from a company that only does ring settings. The interesting thing is rare care. It had the diamond a bit more expensive than the other site that offered it. But the setting was actually cheaper through Rare Carrot than directly from the company that made it. All in all, a great experience. And best of all, she said yes. Ah, well, congratulations to both of you. This is playing out exactly as traditional diamond retailers feared and said it would, that it was going to commoditize the purchase of diamonds, that Now that diamonds can be made chemically identical in a factory, in a lab, as they are dug out of the earth, it has taken away the pricing power from De Beers and from the diamond retailers. And so the marketplace is now much more like other consumer goods for buying lab-created diamonds. And it is so easy to comparison shop as we just heard very clearly from Brian. And so this is changing the nature of shopping for diamonds. And people that are younger actually prefer, not just because of price, prefer lab-created diamonds versus, what's what's the derogatory term? Blood diamonds, mm-hmm. something like that? Yeah. Conflict diamonds, mm-hmm. the ones that are dug out of the earth. And so it is totally forcing diamond sellers to rethink how they run their businesses, how they price their product, and how they differentiate if they sell both the lab-created diamonds versus the -the dug-out-of-the-earth diamonds. The savings versus the -the dug-out-of-the-earth diamonds are getting larger and larger. The gap is growing. The quality identical or better with the lab-created diamonds, but the price advantage is getting larger and larger and larger so learn about this because it could save you a ton. So coming up ahead, electric vehicles are in the news constantly right now, constantly, because they are at that tipping point. There's a point of sales that something becomes part of public consciousness. In the last six months, electric vehicles made it there. But one of the big question marks is how do you charge the thing And I got some new information for you coming straight ahead. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. Armor All. Less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Electric vehicles represent roughly 1 in 12 vehicles being sold in the United States now, 8% of vehicle sales. 
And generally, when you get past about 6% with a new technology, uh, it really becomes something that is in people's funnel. You know, what a funnel is, is with consumer intentions to make purchases, getting into the funnel is key. It's why brands are always trying to be in your funnel that you will consider buying their product or a new and improved of theirs or whatever. So now more and more people are like, well, never own one of these things. What do you do? How do you charge the thing or whatever? And the big problem right now for automakers is the national charging network in the United States is basically a joke. I mean, it is haphazard. It's really not good. I told a few months ago the story about how someone had hit my car while it was parked and was kind enough and honest enough to leave a note. They took care of fixing the car, but it took a while. And I had a rental car from her insurance. So what I did as an experiment was I got a rental electric car. I've been driving electric cars 12 years now. And I drive a Tesla. And so charging a Tesla, there's nothing to it because they've developed an entire national network of charging stations. And I can decide to get in the vehicle spontaneously and take a trip going pretty much anywhere in America and never have to worry about being able to charge the vehicle. And that is a big advantage that Tesla has in the market. Well, I had a non-Tesla rental car and it was a great electric car, drove very well. Charging it was ridiculously difficult. You'd go to a charger and it'd be broken. You'd go to another charger and you couldn't get it to accept a form of payment. It was having trouble connecting to the credit card you tried to give it. And the pricing, you never know, what are they going to charge it, this one or that one or the other one? I mean, it is a disaster that will be solved over time. But right now, if you need a car, not just to be a local vehicle, and most people need a vehicle that's okay to take wherever, it's a one-horse game. It's Tesla. So Tesla now has sold access to their chargers to Ford and to GM. So that GM products like Cadillacs and Chevys and stuff like that will be able to charge at Tesla chargers. Ford products will be able to charge at Tesla chargers. And they're paying Tesla billions for this because the objection they're hearing through their dealers from the potential customers is how in the world am I going to charge this thing? So Tesla has this tremendous market advantage with chargers. The reality is other brands face the same challenge that Ford and GM did, that building out a charging network that is effective and that you can trust is going to take till sometime in 25, maybe even 26, for it to be truly reliable and national in scale. And it's going to happen, but for people buying in this buying cycle in 23 or 24, it's hard buying a vehicle that can't access Tesla's charging network. And that's a fact. And it's funny when you read these stories where TV station or uh, newspaper will send out a reporter and say, okay, we're going to send you on a 500 mile trip in an electric car 
let's see what happens. And people end up getting stranded overnight places. They end up having to have toes, all these things. And this is a reality, but a very temporary one. But when it happens to you, there's nothing that feels temporary about it at all. So I love driving an electric vehicle. Charging network is the last real piece of the puzzle. The price points of the electric vehicles are going down and down and down step by step. And it's going to be much cheaper to drive an electric than a gas engine. It's just a matter of when it's going to be right for your life. But you know what I didn't mention, Krista? What? They're so much more fun to drive. Oh my gosh, they really are. They are really, really fun. Watch your speed. When you first get an electric vehicle, you are very likely to get a speeding ticket in the first six weeks because you don't realize how powerful they are, how quickly they accelerate, and how fast you're going. I find it safer for me. Like if I'm making, say, a left turn and I miscalculate how quickly a car is coming or they speed up, I can quickly make that turn. You know, it Because just there's no hesitation. There's no hesitation at all. Which so is what nice. I did in my vehicle, there's a thing where you can have a chime that chimes at you when you're going X number because always knows what the speed limit is on every road in America. So there's a chime that plays for me when I'm eight miles over the speed limit. So I back off before I'm likely to have that radar gun say, there's our next victim (laughs) and get me. Do you use the chime in yours? No, I probably should. Okay, let's go to questions. Harry in Virginia says, I'm looking for a deal on a car that uses the lowest amount of gas per mile. What do you think? Typically, it's going to be a Toyota because Toyota has adopted so heavily hybrid technology and virtually across their product line, I'm thinking, is there any Toyota that doesn't have a hybrid version? Mm. And where hybrids used to be a lot more expensive than a gas engine, they're not anymore. Like I had a question just recently where we were talking about why the Toyota Sienna has such a marketplace advantage now over the Honda Odyssey because the Odyssey in real life and urban suburban driving is going to average maybe, you know, 16, 17 miles a gallon. I don't care what EPA says. And the Toyota Sienna will average double that somewhere in the low 30s miles per gallon in city suburban driving because they have a hybrid version. And so Toyota has bet the farm on hybrids. They've been doing it since 1997. They've been at it a long time. And they've perfected hybrids. They've made them so cost-effective buying up front versus a gas engine only that I can recommend them very highly as the brand that I would look at when you want to get the most miles per gallon out of a vehicle. doesn't have to be a plug-in hybrid, which is a much more complicated technology. A regular hybrid can save you a lot of money at the gas pump, and you don't ever have to worry about that chargey thing that I was talking about. Kirk in California says, what does Clark think about car insurance for a 17-year-old learning to drive in our family cars, basically one to two times per week for an hour each time? And what about after she gets her license? Do we need to add her as a driver on the cars? I assume this will drastically increase our yearly insurance. I don't want to ask my insurer as they may tag us for higher insurance. All right. So what we're talking about here, Kurt, 
is why one third of people no longer get a driver's license, even up to age 18, because they can get a learner's permit. But once you get a, a license, the auto insurance rates for a teenager are crazy, crazy high. Thousands and thousands of extra dollars per year per teen driver, typically in most states. Insurance regulated by the states. So how much more that teen driver is varies by state. And so as long as your teen is under a learner's permit, you're okay. Most insurers don't charge extra because they know they got that other set of eyes in the vehicle with them. But it's once a teen takes the driver's test, passes, and has a license, you got to tell your insurer. And depending on the circumstance in your state with your insurer, it may be less expensive to buy an old beat-up vehicle that you only have to buy liability on for a teen driver and that be the sole vehicle they drive. And that will vary by insurer whether that's going to be the cheapest way. But I remember taking a question from a parent who was absolutely stunned that the insurance was so much money for that new teen driver. And the only answer I had for them was to turn the teen's license back into the state, which is a terrible thing to have to say. But it was, if I remember right, it was almost 5000 extra a year for adding that teen driver. And who can afford that? So this is a real dilemma and is why so many teenagers now no longer get licenses. Hugh in North Carolina has not a car question. It says, should the executor of a will review the document before the death of an individual? A lot of times you don't even know you're going to be an executor. Right, right, right. right. (laughs) I was executor of an estate where the probate court judge hollered at me when I met with the judge about a will that was not drawn properly, but named me as executor. And she said to me, she said, you know, if I asked Clark Howard, if he would be executor of an estate without reading the will first, before he agreed to be an executor, what do you think he'd say? I mean, she was wow. so mad at me. Do you, you remember a, you, this? You got a scolding. This was like 15 I years ago. I do remember ago. when you were, yeah, oh. scolded you. Yeah. So it depends on the circumstance. Sometimes, as Krista said, you're not even going to know you're going to be executor of a state. But if you are, particularly if you're just carrying out the functions and you're not somebody who there's sensitivity about what you might be inheriting from a will, it's really great if somebody asks you to be executor, if you could ask to review it, the will, before you accept because you have no idea what you're necessarily walking into. You ask anybody who's been executor of an estate how much they enjoyed it, uh, they would tell you probably that they'd be happier waiting at DMV for four days, day and night, to see someone, going back to her prior question, than having to be an executor of an estate. It is a thankless task, but it is a nice thing to do for someone else. And so if they're willing to let you see it in advance, so you know what you're getting into before you accept, 
I recommend that. You do have the option in most states, if you're named as executor and you didn't know what was happening, to petition the court to remove you as executor. If it's going to be something you just don't want to be involved in the family drama or whatever it is to ask to be removed. And uh, depending on the state, the court may not grant that motion or they may and many wills will have a backup executor. And so if you refuse to serve or cannot for whatever reason, then the backup would normally fill that role. You're my backup. I'm your backup. I told you that years and years ago. You probably forgot. Is, I if, forgot. That's, if that's not okay, I can take you off. Um, I'd be honored to do that for you, which I can say because you're going to be alive so many decades <laughs> after I'm gone. No way. You never know. We never know what life's going to bring us. That is true. Joy every day. That is absolutely true. Every single day is a gift it is. that we get in life. Every day. And I hope even when you wake up and you're like, what kind of gift was this? Know that the next day may bring you those wonderful gifts. I love the, the phrase, the saying, yesterday is history, tomorrow is a mystery, today is a gift. That's why they call it the present. Wow. You love all these inspirational phrases. I do. You throw inspirational phrases at me all the time. So maybe that's what you should be doing for a living is providing inspiration to people. Well, that's what you do. And I help you do that every day. Well, thank you for that. Thank you. All right. So thank you for being (laughs) with us today. Remember that we are here for you around the clock. 24 people used to say 24, 7, 365. Nobody says that anymore. At Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com. And our Team Clark Consumer Action Center serves you not 24 hours a day, six hours each weekday, Monday to Friday, answering your questions for free, one-on-one, a service we've been offering since 1993. That is a long time ago. And so if you want somebody to answer one of your questions, the time's... 10 in the morning Eastern to 4 in the afternoon Eastern time. The number 636-49-CLARK. Have a great day.